Thanks for joining the Hague Mennonite Church podcast. We are a small and friendly congregation in Hague, Saskatchewan. Here you will find our weekly messages and we hope you will be encouraged and blessed. Let's get it started. And I want to start with a few questions, because these are good questions to ask. They're good questions even to ask ourselves. And the questions are these. What is Jesus' message? If you had to sum it up, what would you say? What is the good news? And what is the gospel? Do you or have you ever struggled to describe to, to people the message of the good news? Is it really hard sometimes to slip the good news into a conversation with a coworker? Do you think about a certain friend or family member and sometimes not even know where to start when it comes to telling this person about Jesus? And then again, what is the good news? So as you may have seen in your bulletins, this is part 4.5 of the Matthew series because I really didn't want to skip over the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. Last time we talked about Jesus' temptation in the desert, and I would actually encourage you, we have the sermons on the website. I think there are just totally, absolutely important things to be learned from the way that Jesus deals with temptation. So please benefit from that. But this morning we're looking at the second half of the chapter because the second half of chapter 4 is pivotally important for understanding everything that comes after this chapter. And it actually helps us to understand what Jesus is, wants to tell us, especially in the coming chapters. Because you see, Matthew is going to give us a key phrase from the mouth of Jesus, which is going to help us unlock of what he has to say. And to catch us up, after the temptation, Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth, but eventually he moved to the city of Capernaum. And he began to preach this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if your co-worker starts to notice that there's a little bit something different about you, that you're interested in different things, and you feel like you have an opportunity to share about your faith, is the first place that you go, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It would sound totally bizarre. And so it's interesting to realize that this is actually the first place that Jesus started when he was sharing his message. This was, to some degree, it was the essence of his message. And then if you flip one chapter earlier, you see that this is word for word exactly what John the Baptist was preaching. Repent, turn from your sinful ways. The kingdom of heaven is here. God's rule is taking the world back. And you've been notified. This may be kind of a different way of thinking of the gospel than we're used to. But the thing is, this is the gospel. Matthew 4.23, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Gospel itself is actually a really strange word. And if you're not totally sure what it means, you're not alone. 
And actually, it comes from an old English word that we don't really use at all today. It's the words God and spell squished together. Because the earliest pagan English speakers, when they were hearing the good news for the first time, they believed that Jesus' words were magic. So they called the message the God spell. That's where this word comes from. But the Greek word hiding behind this word gospel is actually euangelion. And to some of you, that may actually sound familiar. Euangelion is where we get the word evangelical. And that's the word that means good news. And it isn't like good news like, oh yeah, did you see last week when the Bruins crushed the Habs? I mean, that would be good news. But euangelion has an even deeper meaning than that. Because when the ancient Greek writers, when they would use the word euangelion, They used it for the biggest news possible. This is, there is a new emperor we're going to spend the next two weeks celebrating. This is the euangelion. This is the evangelical message. Jesus is proclaiming the evangelical, the euangelion of the kingdom. This is good news. This is pivotal news. And this changes the world. A new emperor is here. A new kingdom. An amazing declaration. This is great news And it's time that we start to celebrate. So if this good news is great, it's a joyful declaration, it's important, it's even political, what is the kingdom of heaven? And to put it simply, the kingdom of heaven is God's space. It is heaven. It is everything that's holy. And when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what what he is saying is the kingdom of heaven is here and God is now beginning to take his world back. He's bringing his rule. He's bringing his reign here. This is a new emperor. Hallelujah. And that's not the way we usually think of good news. But this is actually the trajectory that the whole Bible has been on to this point. The focus of the Bible and its instruction isn't like a handbook to teach us how to get out of the world and get into heaven and the best way to do so. It's a promise that one day heaven is going to take this world back. It's going, heaven will take this world back from evil and from sin. And the promise is that we will live with God in paradise again as it was supposed to be at the start. And that's why we have all prayed hundreds and maybe even thousands of times, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. If you look at the first three pages of your Bible, it starts with us losing paradise here on earth. And if you turn to the last three pages of your Bible, it ends with the revelation of the kingdom of heaven, of a great city coming down, and us regaining paradise here on earth. It's good news, and it's coming. So Jesus has good news, and this good news is that God's kingdom is coming to us, but what kind of a kingdom is it? Let's look at Matthew 4, 18-22, and it reads, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, 
who is called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This comes immediately after Jesus declares that the kingdom is at hand. And the first thing he does, and he goes, he recruits fishermen. This really doesn't have anything to do with anything, but you may sometimes wonder why Simon had to go by Peter. And actually, the reason for that is really funny, because the problem was there were so many Simons living there in the Jewish community at that time. So this is exactly like the Mennonite nickname thing. There are 10,000 Simons, so you call him Pida, so you can tell him apart, even though it's not his name. It seems so strange. He's basically walking by the lake and recruiting fishermen, but what Jesus is doing is he's establishing the kingdom of heaven. He's gathering his first subjects of the kingdom of heaven. And what kinds of subjects are these? Because if you needed to go and start today, start a kingdom from the ground up, are these the first sorts of people that you would go after? Wouldn't you go after the rich and powerful, maybe somebody that could bankroll you a little bit? What about the CEOs, the leaders, and the great generals of the world? But Jesus goes for fishermen. Jesus calls his subjects and they follow him. James and John even leave their father in the boat, sitting dumbfounded. You can imagine, we don't get any details, but he may be crying, weeping, calling after them, watching them leave. And these men, these fishermen, though they understand very little about what they're getting themselves into, one day each one of them will follow Jesus to their deaths. And so we see first, in what kind of a kingdom is this? This is a kingdom for anyone. It's not just for the elites. And in fact, most of the elites rejected Jesus because they liked the kingdom of earth just fine. Why do we need the kingdom of heaven? But for the lowly and the downtrodden and the everyday people, maybe like us, this is a kingdom where greatness comes not by power, but greatness comes by faith alone. And as we talked about a little earlier this morning, children are the greatest in this kingdom. Isn't that an euangelion, great news for little ones like Riker and for Kinsley? In what organization, what nation, what kingdom on earth would little ones like those be called the greatest? But Jesus has lifted up these precious, vulnerable, trusting lives, and he humbles the proud. So we know something about the good news. We know the the kingdom of heaven, a little bit of what kind of kingdom it is. And the last question is, how did Jesus reveal the kingdom? Matthew 4, 23 to 25. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. 
So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And in a real sense, we see that Jesus entered this world as a conqueror. But he didn't conquer with the sword. He conquered by his word and his action. He taught in the synagogues. He proclaimed the good news. He healed broken bodies and cast demons out of broken spirits. Jesus traveled and liberated people from sin and from death. He made war on Satan and sin, and he defeated him wherever he found him. And where he found suffering and lies, he tore them down, and he replaced them with the healing and with truth. With each person he touched, he created a new outpost, a new soldier for the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says to you, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Reject the way of this world and follow after him. Turn away from sin and set yourself toward Jesus. Become a subject of his kingdom and join him in making war on hell and claiming territory in this world for the kingdom of heaven. And let's start this here in this place, in this town, and beyond, conquering for his kingdom. So when you think that you have a chance to proclaim the good news, to that friend or the co-worker, trust the Holy Spirit to show you how to take your chance. You do have a message to offer. And that message is about a new way of life, of purpose and victory in a kingdom under King Jesus. And there's no one else that can offer a life with that meaning and that purpose. And where, where the things that you accomplish won't fade away, but they'll last for eternity. I mentioned in Sunday school, and I'll say it again, there are a lot of people who learn better visually than they do with the spoken word. So there's actually another video which describes this whole kingdom dynamic really well. And we have a few moments, so if Corey would cue that up, we'll watch it. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die. But this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning. 
where heaven and earth they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty. But human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice 
has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die. But that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. We believe the best way to understand the Bible is to look at its overall narrative. So the truth of it is, when you hear that line, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we, a kingdom needs a king, and we have a king of kings. And it just so happens that our king was enthroned in bloody shame and in humiliation. Jesus died to conquer death. And Jesus was sacrificed to create this holy space in all of us. That just as Jesus was raised up in perfection after three days, we can trust that one day we too will be raised up in perfection. And together we will live in a holy city, the kingdom of heaven, the goal and the desire of our hearts. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening to the Hague Mennonite Church podcast. For more information about us, you can go to our website haguemennonitechurch.ca. Until the next time. Thank you.